Find a seat. Find a seat. Amen. Can we give God all the glory and praise one more time? Amen. Let's work our way in and not work our way out. I see y'all. As some of them go, I want to also uh, thank God for our unveiled worship team. Can we give them a hand? You know, you, you heard some of that during worship, but uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. You know, our, our worship team is called Unveiled because that's the idea is that we are standing face to face with the Lord. I don't know about the rest of you, but do any of you feel during worship as if uh, something is being removed? Like if there's a barrier between you or God, you can see it slowly coming down. If you came in with anger and bitterness and frustration, can you feel that slowly being broken apart? If you came in with unforgiveness or you came in with big problems during worship, do you start to see your problems begin to shrink? That's what it means to be unveiled. That's what it means to be in the presence of God, face to face with Him, His glory shining. With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Your problems didn't get smaller. He got bigger. His light shined into the dark areas of our life. Man, I'm so grateful for worship. I had things to do, but obviously nothing more important than worshiping the Lord. I wanted to stay in the back and do a little typing, and I was like, gosh, dang it, I got to go to the altar. Thank you, Jesus. All unveiled on me right now. Amen. I'm going to receive our tithe and, and offering. By a show of hands, how many of you use our text to give to do your giving? I do, so I'm going to put my hand up. Anybody else text to give? It's so easy. If you don't have the number, it usually shows on the screen, but it's 714-710-8545. So easy. You do it one time, give a dollar, it asks you, give me your banking information. All you have to do is text and you get to give and not hold on to it. How many of you give through the app? Raise your hand. Oh, application. I like it. That's why we have it. Makes it easy, right? You log in, you create your account, and then you don't have to worry about all the drama. You can just give. How many of us are still old school using the envelopes? Oh, yeah. Cash money. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Dollar, dollar bill. There's, there's so, many, so many ways that we can give. So many ways that we can give. I just want to encourage people. Uh, that, that not knowing how or not knowing the easiest way should not stop us. You know, we'll take a moment and, and look at the phone numbers. Ask somebody for help if you need help. I've had to explain to several people about the app and how to log in over and over again, but it doesn't matter. Don't tell on yourself. I see you raising your hand, but it doesn't matter. We just keep trying. We don't let that interfere with what God wants us to do. Amen? Amen. So Matthew 8, 1 says, When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes, say a lot of people. Say, I'm focused. I'm focused. Say, Joe, I'm listening. Joe, listening. All right. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Say, I am. I am, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See, on the, mo on the mountaintop, multitudes are following. 
When you're on the mountaintop, multitudes are gathering around Jesus to see what he will do and what he can do. See, but it's when you come down from the mountaintop and you get into the everyday grind of life that you have to still be willing to come to Jesus and say, can you help me in a one-on-one -on -one basis? Not a multitude on a mountaintop, but an individual in a valley. This man didn't come to him up on the top with his leprosy. When everybody was done jumping and shouting and singing and praising and they're walking down the valley, he says, I got to go for help. I got to go and ask for my need to be met. I got to go ask and see if he's willing to touch me, right? I met with a man today and he broke down in tears as he told me that he feels unforgivable. He told me that if it wasn't for his wife and kids, that he would put a bullet in his head. We're sitting in a car together talking, he's crying. It's in those moments that your theology and your thoughts about how church should run, how things should be in a particular ministry, all that goes out the window and it doesn't matter anymore. So I'm praying as we're talking. He gets out of the car for a minute and I call my wife and I say, babe, you gotta pray. What we were praying, what I was praying is that he would find himself in a place where he would ask, Lord, are you willing? Right? He's obviously in a valley. And the question that he actually has to ask, I can't ask it for him, right? I want to ask it for him. I want to tell him exactly how to do it. But I can't ask it. He actually has to come to God and say, Lord, are you willing to forgive me? Are you willing to heal me? Are you willing to help me? Are you willing to take this depression and this fear away from me? Are you willing? See, I know that Jesus is willing. But I hope the man's willing to come to him. So what does this have to do with tithing? <laughs> what does this have to do with offering? For those of us who have already come to Jesus and we found him to be willing, right? He was willing to save us. He was willing to forgive us. He was willing to help us. He was willing to heal us. He was willing to touch us and take the depression and take the frustration and take the anger. This is what Jesus himself, New Testament example, not Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus himself, this is what he declares to us and what he declared to this man. Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He said, it ain't about talking about this. It ain't about going out there and just running your mouth about how good I am and how I touched you and how I healed you. He said, go to church. Go to the church. You go in there and you find the priest and you show them what God has done in your life. Show them how I have touched you. Show them how I was willing. Show them that I healed you. And after you're done showing them what I'm actually doing in your life, then you need to give what was commanded by Moses. There's something about being touched by God and then tithing as a testimony of the touch. Yes. You're not giving to earn something. You're not giving because you feel like God said, I have to do this. No, I've been touched. I sit in a truck with a man that says, I'm going to kill myself if it wasn't for my family because I feel unforgivable and that God cannot help me or touch me. And then here I am and I say, I've been touched. I've been healed. I've been forgiven. But I won't give. It's wrong. 
no matter how you slice it or dice it, it's wrong. Our screens are down, so you're going to have to repeat after me, but I think it's going to give us an extra opportunity to think about the words that we're saying. So please stand with me tonight. I'll say it, and if you would, please repeat after me. Lord, you are trustworthy. You've proven that to us time and time again. We are learning to trust you more and more. We submit ourselves to you. Let our hearts be your heart. Let our ways be your ways. Let our finances be your finances. I desire to be full of faith. In season and out of season. I will not give based on the season I'm in. You are deserving in all seasons. I rejoice as I tithe. I release with a grateful heart. I know you're working everything out. For my good. And your glory. Use my giving to change the world. I love you. Amen. 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 All right. Be seated. Use your app. Use your text. Use your envelope. But man, use the fact that you've been touched to be a giver. Quickly, announcements. What a Sunday we had last Sunday. Somebody say amen. amen. We started a new series in Ephesians. We saw a baby get dedicated. We watched the father in tears as it happened. We saw a family rededicate their lives. For those who were here, rededicate their lives to Jesus and serving. And then uh, we saw one of the greatest miracles on the planet. We saw a woman give her life to Jesus. That's special. Amen. I'm glad that you think so. This Friday night, we have youth service at 6 o'clock. I think it's so important. We have these kids that have just gone back to school. We don't need to pull back. We need to press in. They need to hear the word. They need to pray together. They need hands laid on them. It's a big deal what they're, what they're re-entering into after this summer. So let's reach out to parents. Let's reach out to kids. Let's get them here. Let's have them be blessed. After youth service, 7 o'clock, we have praying in the spirit. So come. Amen. Be engaged. Be involved. Grow. Ask questions between now and then if you have them. And then just show up and let's pray. Sunday, we kick off September and we continue our series in Ephesians. And then Wednesday night, uh, we're back to life groups. Oh, yeah. If you don't have a life group yet, please reach out to myself or one of the other elders and we'll get you connected, get you plugged in, get you with the group for Wednesday night. It's a big deal to get back following Friday youth again. And then Saturday, 31 Status Women's Ministry. Saturday the 7th, you guys are having a brunch. Uh, for fall, so it's going to be awesome. One woman will be there, apparently. But uh, 31 Status, put it in your calendar. Look on the church calendar. Join with the ladies uh, on the 7th. I think that's it, so I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for all the things that you have scheduled in the calendar, not just because they are events, but because you plan to be there. Because you plan to move on the youth. You plan to move on the women, Lord God. You plan to move in our prayer service. You know that we are going to be in these places and you want to be with us, Lord. We ask that you would have your hand over these things, Lord. Not as our plans, 
but as an opportunity to meet with you in a special and unique way, Lord God. We ask that the finances that have come into this church, Lord God, that they would be used to give you all of the glory, Lord, to see your mission of seeing souls saved and men and women raised up and strengthened in the faith, that that would continue to happen in this place, Lord, that there would be honor given unto uh, what those have given into this church, Lord God. We desire just to be a blessing, Lord God. We want to be like you. We want to give and not take, Lord God. We ask that you would have your way over this service tonight, Lord. You know as well as we do that we don't get to gather like we used to on Wednesday nights, Lord God. That we have missed some of these Bible studies that we used to have, Lord God. But you are perfecting us and you are taking us on a journey, Lord God. We can't be looking back and staying in the past, Lord. We give you glory and honor for what you've done. We set memorial stones on all of those times of Bible study, Lord God. But we're crossing the Jordan after we've already crossed the Red Sea, Lord. There's more land to take. But tonight we get to celebrate and be together, so we're grateful for that. We're thankful for that, Lord. Use this as a seed to plant for what's going to happen house to house, Lord. As you said in Acts, Lord, they went house to house, praying together, eating together, fellowshipping, and uh, being taught your word, Lord God. We're grateful for this moment. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. So a couple months ago, we were here together, and uh, we talked about summer at the way. Who remembers what we said was going to be in season during summer at the way. Love, love. Love, love, love. It's the summer of love, girl. Should have known that Liz would remember. <laughs> Anybody besides Liz, what else did we say was going to be in season this summer at the way? Love is going to be in season. Yeah. To- no. What? Yeah. Oh, preacher's wife. <laughs> Gathering was going to be in season, right? So love is going to be in season in summer. Gathering together as the body of believers is going to be in season this summer. And there was one more. Two out of three ain't bad, right? <laughs> Only if the one we didn't forget was prayer. Prayer was going to be in season at the way this summer. So here's the question as we start right now is, how'd you do this summer in those areas? Did you gather with believers more this summer than summers past? Did you pray more, go deeper in your prayer life and have a more consistent prayer life this summer? Did you love harder this summer than you've loved in the past? Did you forgive harder this summer? Did you reach out to make sure people felt the love this summer more than you have in the past? See, I believe that God has a grace for congregations, congregations and flocks, and it flows through the vision that he gives these congregations and these flocks. I hope hope you understand what I'm trying to say, right? So there's a hundred different churches in the area, and every church is a little bit different. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's a good thing. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. If they're all the same, it wouldn't work, right? (laughs) But what God does is he says, for this church, here's the vision that I've given you guys as a church, your leaders. Your elders, your pastors, your ministry leaders, here's the vision. And if you will get in the flow of that vision, I want to do something special in those areas in that group of people. Are you with me? Are you with me for real? If you don't believe it, it's okay. Just tell me. It's all right. So what that means is if, if if we believe that God is saying in the summer at the way, I don't know what he's doing around the corner. I don't know what he's doing across the nation, but at the way... It's a season of love and of gathering and of prayer. If you will jump into that stream, you'll see God do amazing things in the area of love, gathering, and prayer. That's how I know God to be. So for me, 
I'm glad that summer was what it was. Take your notes. I saw some of you writing that down again. Like, gosh, dang it. I'm a little bit late, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to love. Got a couple more days of summer, right? <laughs> but when I think about fall, I think fall is about rhythm. It's about routine and it's about consistency. It's about cool evenings and staying home. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> fall is a time to chill. Even our clocks, November 3rd, what are they going to do? Fall back. Just chill. The clocks are like, what time is it? Seven? No, nah, it's eight. Let's go to bed. Rhythm, routine, and consistency. Time to chill. But at the way... The fall is going to be about being full of faith. What's it going to be about? Full of faith. Right? In the summer, it's love and it's gathering and it's prayer. In the fall, I believe the stream that God is going to have moving and flowing that I would hope that many of us will jump into is a fall of being full of faith. Acts 11.23 says, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is talking about Barnabas, and these Gentiles start getting accidentally saved. Right? Stephen's martyred. Listen, listen. Stephen is martyred, and the church starts to spread out. And as they spread out, they're still only talking to Jews and telling about Jesus and telling about salvation. And all of a sudden, a couple people that heard the message, they made the mistake of talking to non-Jews. They started talking to Mexicans. They started talking to Egyptians. They started talking to blacks. They started talking to Armenians. On accident, these people are like, what? Who is he? And they start getting saved. The church in Jerusalem says, we've got to send Barnabas out to find out what's going on out there with these non-Jewish people. And when Barnabas shows up, it says that he encouraged them like, this is for real. Continue with the Lord. Continue with the Lord. And then what does it say about him? This man was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. And what did it produce? A lot of people got saved and started being added to the Lord. This fall, can we be full of faith? Can we look at a praying in the spirit service and say, man, I want to be full of the spirit? If we were, are willing to be full of the spirit and full of faith this fall, you know what I believe will happen? People will be added to the Lord. Amen. That's what happened here. Why can't it happen here? See, with rhythm and discipline and focusing on our own homes during the fall, I believe God's going to be able to meet with us in a planned or scheduled or expected way. Think about that for a second. When I came here tonight, I wasn't hoping to meet with the Lord. I was expecting to meet with the Lord. Why? Because I planned to be here. I put it not only in the church calendar, I put it in my calendar. He knew I was coming. So my expectation is he'll be there when I get there. You know what summer is about? craziness. I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to call. I don't know where I have to go. You want it to last. So you're like, let's go out late and go to a movie, go to dinner. Like everything is crazy. 
But in the fall, it's like, I know exactly where I'm gonna be every single day, every single night. There's this level of consistency and expectancy, and I believe that God will value that in this season and say, look, I know you're gonna be home, I'll meet you there. Amen. I know you're gonna be at, at Life Group, I'll meet you there. Amen. I think there's value in that. So the message I wanna share with you guys tonight is titled, I am amazed. I am amazed. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God is the great I am. Somebody say amen. amen. Tonight, what we're going to look at are three times when Jesus, as God says, I am amazed. <laughs> I like that. Somebody said, I get it. All right. It, it's working. I am amazed. Jesus was constantly amazing people when they encountered him, right? Like you don't walk away from an encounter with Jesus and be like, oh, that was all right. Like you leave a movie, oh, that was all right. When you walk away from an encounter with Jesus, you're like, I am amazed. I couldn't see and now I see. I was leprous and now I'm clean. I brought a friend, he was paralyzed, he got saved and then he took up his bed and started running home. I'm amazed. Every, look, he, there was no food and all of a sudden we were all grubbing. Everybody who encounters Jesus is amazed. Matter of fact, if you're not amazed, if you don't sound amazed, if you don't look amazed, if you don't talk to people as if you are amazed, maybe we haven't encountered Jesus. It's going to be trouble. Trouble. Everybody who encounters him leaves amazed. But there's only a few times in scripture where it says he was amazed. Where the I am says, I am amazed. We're going to look at them. And what I want to see is maybe they can help us in the area of faith this fall. Are you with me? Yes. All right. Amen. First one is Matthew chapter 13. No screens. Hope you brought your Bible. Matthew 13 verse 51 says, Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Stop there real quick. It doesn't super duper apply to what I want to talk to you tonight about, but I had to leave it in there because when I was reading the scripture, I was like, I can't leave this out. I got to tell them. Listen to what Jesus says. He's telling them all these stories, all these parables. And he's like, do you understand? And they say, yes, Lord, we understand. And he said, every scribe, a scribe is, is entrusted to write the word of God over and over and over again to give out, to give out, to give out. And he says, every scribe who's been entrusted with this is like a, a, a house owner, a household owner who brings out treasure old and new. Does that amaze anybody else? What he's saying is if you have the word of God and it's been entrusted to you and you understand it, and you're presenting it in any way, shape, form, or fashion, you are like a rich man or a rich woman who has old treasure. Like people come to your house, you're like, this was given to me, passed down from 18 generations. It was found in the, the, the deserts of Africa in a, in a coal cave. It's the biggest diamond you've ever seen. Look at this old treasure, right? And then a week later, you open the same book and, and it's like, 
people aren't going to understand this until they get computers. <laughs> people ain't going to understand this until they've been to the moon. They ain't going to the 1960s. But I'm going to tell you something. It's new treasure. Listen, maybe it's just me, but it's crazy. <laughs> Jesus is talking to people. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord, we understand. He said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, all these teachings, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Now, Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus says, I am amazed at the faithlessness of the locals. Jesus is talking about teaching, understanding, parables, scribes, treasure, old, new, lives changed and transformed. And then he comes home to the locals and he has to scratch his head and say, I'm amazed at how faithless the locals are. My own family, my own church, in, this, in our own city, and their faith is. The family, the community, the local church doesn't believe, and their faithlessness prevents Jesus from doing miracles. He's Jesus. Just reminded me that we talked about this at Jericho. We said, he's Jesus smash. He can do anything. But what he can't do is work with our unbelief. What he can't do is work with our faithlessness. If we don't release him, if we don't believe he's in us and then we don't release him, he's, he can't do anything. He goes home and he's like, where's the faith? I thought I'd get home and you guys would have heard everything that I've been doing out in the world and be like, finally, our son is home. And at home, there's no faith. See, they're with him, but they're questioning him about everything. Hey, hey, aren't, aren't you Mary's boy? Aren't these your brothers and sisters? Where did you go to school? Did you really learn anything? Who do you think you are? They're with him physically, but they're questioning him. They're with him physically, but they don't expect him to do anything special among them. They've got Jesus in the city, in the community, in the church, but they are not expecting him to do anything. And then here's what I think is probably the worst part. They're with him. They've got Jesus there in the city, in the community, in the church. And I don't think they actually want him to do anything special. It's one thing not to expect him to do something special or not to think that he can. It's another thing to just be like, I don't even care. I don't want him to do anything. And you know what he says? I am amazed. Of all groups of people. And it's this group of people that's this way. This can happen to a church too. 
See, we're called to search the scriptures. We're called to make sure that we, we hold our leaders and pastors and teachers accountable, right? Are you teaching us the truth? Is this the word of God? And, and we need to question that and make sure that we go back and read. And does it really say that? Okay, okay. I feel like we're being taught the right things. That's good. But we can also get to a place where we just begin to question things for the sake of questioning them. We forget about Jesus altogether, and all we want to do is question everything. A church can also get to a place where they don't expect God to move, and they don't really care anymore if he moves or not. A church can come into this building and mentally, emotionally, and spiritually say, I don't expect anything special to happen tonight. And you know what? I don't even really care. Like I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm gonna go, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna set aside, I'm gonna give, but doing something special, like only God can do, nah, you know. Do I even want it? Do I, do I care that much? Like God, I want you to do something. Don't let this guy commit suicide. Don't let that marriage break up. Help somebody that's gonna come to the altar. We're going to want these things. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us, it's been three days now, how many of us have told somebody that a lady gave her life to Jesus in your church this Sunday? Don't raise your hand. It's a miracle. It's what we've devoted our lives to. It's why we come and clean the church. It's why we post things on Facebook. It's why we study the scriptures. It's why we have courses. It's the whole point is so that somebody can go to heaven that was going to hell and then it happens right in front of you and we don't even care to say anything. We've posted pictures of all kinds of other stuff out into the atmosphere of, of social media. We don't even care anymore. Why? We've, we've lost sight of what faith really is. And my fear for myself, my fear for our church, is that Jesus would look at us and say to the locals, I am amazed. Can we have the faith to believe that Jesus is moving in this church and that he'll continue to move in this church as we enter into the fall? Do we have the faith to believe in our pastors who are here in this church? Or is it just that guy? That's, that's Mary's boy. Don't we know his sister? Are you, are you just stuck with the pastors and leaders you have here? Or are they ordained by God to accomplish the will of God in the lives of the people that God has sent here? How about our ministry leaders? Is it, is it just a group of people who are willing to do something? Or do we have the faith to believe that God is going to use them to change our lives? How about in our life groups? Dinners and hangouts? Or God perfecting us? Do we have the faith this fall to believe that it's more than hanging out? It's more than a cool system. It's more than just something churches have been doing since the beginning of time. I have faith to believe that it's the will of God to change the lives of the people of God. How about in our prayer services? I can pray at home, can I? I don't know, can you? 
I mean, he hears me everywhere, doesn't he? Can we have the faith this fall to believe that he'll do something special and unique? How about in our individual lives and families? Do you have faith this fall? Is there an expectancy that God is going to do something that he's never done before? So the first one is faith of and for our local church. This fall, I hope we have faith of the faith of our local church and faith for our local church. That Jesus wouldn't have to come home and say, man, I'm amazed at the faithlessness in this place. Like this is home. This should be the most exciting place. This should be the most expectant place of us for us. Let's go on, Matthew chapter eight. I'm gonna start from verse one, it might sound familiar. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him and behold, a leper came and worshiped him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go and he goes to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Jesus says, I am amazed at the faith of this Roman. He's not a son of the kingdom. He's not a Jew. But I am amazed at the faith of this Roman. This Roman centurion, this man, he knows what he sees and that is enough for him to have faith and hope for himself and for others. Look at this. This Roman has seen something and he knows what he's looking at and what he sees is enough for him to have faith for himself and for other people. My servant who's at home. This is what he says. He says, only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Put yourself in his shoes. This Roman is saying, because I've heard what you've done and because I've seen the impact that you've had on people's lives. He hasn't met Jesus before. So all he knows is what he's heard and what he's seen has happened to other people who have encountered Jesus. This should be blowing our minds tonight. He hasn't met him but he's heard some stuff. How many of your friends have started to hear some stuff? They haven't met him. They haven't come to church, but can you say my friends have started to hear some things because I'm talking? 
And it's not just they've heard some things. This Roman has also seen some things. He's like, that dude couldn't walk and now he's walking. These people used to come to, to, the, to the party and the hangout and now they're trying to go up to some mountaintop, thousands of them. And when they come back down, they look different and they talk different and something. I've seen what happens to people who meet you. And from what I've heard and what I've seen, it's enough. I believe that you can do something for me and I believe that you can do something for my servant. And Jesus says, I am amazed. In John chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. If I do not do the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I am in him. Jesus is saying, look, if you just look at what I'm doing, you'll know who I am. If you don't believe my word, if you don't believe what I'm saying, if you don't believe what the pastor is preaching, just open your eyes and look. If I'm not doing what it says the Messiah is going to do, if I'm not healing lepers, if I'm not healing the blind, if I'm not raising the dead, if I'm not healing the sick, well, then don't believe. But don't act like you don't see what I'm doing. Why is Jesus amazed with this Roman? Because this Roman understands what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is capable of doing. This Roman is like, I see what you're doing and I know what you're capable of doing. Can he say that about me? Can he say that about you tonight? You see what he's doing and you know what he's capable of doing. You know what it's called when you see what Jesus is doing and you know what he's capable of doing? It's called faith. That's, that's, that's faith. I see what you're doing and I also know what you're capable of doing even though I haven't seen you do that part yet. Roman. And this faith that he has, I don't believe is saving faith. He's not a saved Roman believer serving God. His faith is based on uh, the power that Jesus has and the authority that Jesus has in a particular area. He's saying, I don't know about all this religion stuff. I don't know about salvation. I don't even know if I would say that I'm a sinner. But what I do know is my servant is sick and I have faith that you are a healer of the sick. This story is actually about the faith and the hope and the honor of unbelievers out there. The faith, the hope, and the honor of unbelievers out there. Jesus understood exactly what this man was saying to him. The man's coming to Jesus and Jesus is listening. And he says to him, um, no, you don't have to come over. Matter of fact, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a soldier, so I understand hierarchy. I understand that, like, the, the, the chief, the, the commander-in-chief, the president... He ain't coming to my house if I'm an infantryman, right? Even if I'm an infantryman, God bless you. Even if, even if I'm an infantryman, but I'm the leader of the infantry, there's people under me and I can tell them what to do and they have to listen to me. But just because I have this level of authority, 
I, have, I make no mistake, I know the president's not coming over to hang out with me. And he's saying, in this particular area, you're like the president. You are the healer. You have this special power to heal people. I don't need you to come to my house. What I need you to do, if the president writes an order that says, I declare war, that's all it takes and we go battle and we declare war. All I need you to do is speak a word let your servant be healed. And I believe that that is gonna take place because you have authority, not over soldiers and over fighting, you have authority over sickness. Amen. And Jesus is, is standing there and he's listening and he's saying, you know that I have authority over. Check on him, amen. Kind of like stuff, hopefully, not a person. Jesus says, he's listening to this man and he says, I can tell that you know I have authority over sickness. And then he turns around and he looks at all of his people that are supposed to be following him. So let's do this the opposite way right now, right? A man comes. I know you have authority over sickness. And I know that you don't even have to come. You're just going to speak a word and my servant's going to be healed. And then Jesus turns around to his followers and he says, You guys see this? You guys hear this guy? You see his faith? Not saving faith, but like, remember when we were in the boat and you guys were flipping out? Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna die, we're gonna die, you don't care. <laughs> you guys see this guy? I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Here's the question. Do we, as a church, have the faith to believe that unbelievers will come into this place and begin to see Jesus for who he is? Right? Do we, as a church, have the faith to believe that unbelievers will come into this church and they will begin to see Jesus for who he is? Think about that for a second. When somebody new comes in or somebody fresh come in or somebody raises their hand and says, yeah, I want to give my life to the Lord. Do we believe that those are going to be the people that are going to say, I see him. I see what he's capable of. You guys, not you guys, but some of these Christians are acting like they have faith, but I really believe that he's capable. I think we need to prepare for unbelievers this fall. And I believe that we need to really listen so we can understand what they're saying. Like, like Jesus is listening to this centurion and he's hearing what he's saying. He's, he's recognizing what he believes and doesn't believe, what level he believes on, not saving faith, but faith in my power. If we as a church will believe God's going to send unbelievers and that they're going to see him for who he is, when we talk to them, we will be able to understand where they are and what level of faith they have and how we can encourage them to have saving faith. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking crazy. Maybe I'm talking crazy. Will we believe that the faithless will become the ultra faithful? Like they won't just start coming to church. They won't just like, like join us for an outreach or something. No, like they come in completely faithless, Romans, and then they become the ultra faithful, like the best we've got. 
So we got, we got to get on their coattails and be like, hey, what are you hearing? Where are you going? Where are you reading? Because I've been in this church for years and, and I see something different going. What, what are you doing? You are where I want to be. Because I feel like that's what Jesus was saying to the people is like, hey, we've been walking, we've been talking, we've been feeding, we've been hanging out, we've been doing all this stuff, but, but this is what I'm really looking for. And I'm amazed, he says. We have to be encouragers or not hinderers. Amen. We have to be inspired and challenged by these unbelievers. Amen. And we have to give God glory every time one of them gives their life to yes. Jesus. We should have been mobbing this lady at the altar at the end of service. <laughs> Welcome to the family. I can't believe you did it. What's your name? Do you even understand what's just happening? You can't understand because you just started. But oh my God, you have no idea. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Come on. Jesus tells his disciples at the end of this encounter, he says, those are the types that are going to populate heaven while the religious folks who are actually chosen, like the Jews, are going to end up disqualified because of their faithlessness. These ain't my words. These are Jesus's words. He says, people are going to come from the east and the west and all over the world and they're going to be in heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the chosen ones that have, their, have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's blood in them are going to be disqualified because they're faithless. Could it be the fall of faith at the way? This message is not to condemn you. I don't think that you or myself are in that category. But I do believe that it's likely to be in that category without an intentional paddling up river yeah. does that make sense yeah. like we can't just float and think it's going to be all good That's right. <laughs> somebody there's always one person in the boat like everybody's chilling like hey man we're just having a good time he's like no we're gonna die <laughs> like we need a couple people rowing like crazy and it's okay if you look crazy you can hang out with me because i know i look crazy <laughs> so number one is faith of the local church and faith for the local church Number two is the faith of the unbelievers. They're not completely faithless. They just don't have saving faith. They do believe in some things. And they do have expectations and desires of God. Let's listen. Let's pay attention. Last one. John chapter 3 verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. 
If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus says, I am amazed at the ignorance of those entrusted to be my teachers. He's like, you're a Pharisee. Like, you're the priest, dude. You're, you're on the worship team. You're, you're teaching the kids. People are coming to your house for life group. You're the only Christian I have at your job. You've got four kids. You don't know this? Like, you don't know you have to be born again? You don't know the sinner's prayer? You don't know what repentance is? You don't know why you need to be baptized? Jesus is looking at this man. This ain't somebody Jesus is chasing out. This man 